Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Lawn and Landscape Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Miller, an associate editor for Lawn and Landscape Magazine. Several months ago, I talked with Andrew Bray, the Vice President of Government Relations for the National Association of Landscape Professionals. You can actually catch Bray's bi-monthly column in an upcoming issue of Lawn and Landscape Magazine. Shameless plug aside, I wanted to talk with Bray about a hot-button issue that you might have forgotten about due to the pandemic, glyphosates. Last winter, the EPA determined there are no significant human health harms to using glyphosates, which have been studied for decades and are the most widely used herbicides in the United States. In some circles, they've been viewed as a longtime villain, and there have been hundreds of lawsuits focused on the effects of glyphosates. I think in general, pesticides have been under heightened scrutiny uh, for the last several decades. Um, I, I think before glyphosate was taking all of the headlines, um, neonicotinoids were receiving in- increased scrutiny. Before that, uh, you had uh, pesticides known as organo- organophosphates. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of just been the historical story of pesticides as those who fundamentally opposed them, and why we have a really robust regulatory scheme that, that only uh, registers them uh, for use. Uh, when according to the label, when they've gone through the testing. Bray says it goes beyond public perception. He's fighting against the perceptions of lawmakers and legislators in D.C. more than anything else. I mean, I, and I want to make sure it's really clear, like, I'm not here to promote glyphosate. What I'm here to do is promote our pesticide regulatory process, because without that, um, you know, I don't know what sort of foundation, you know, I can feel comfortable with our, you know, members using products and using products that are, you know, exposed, that consumers are exposed to. I mean, that's it's really important that we respect the process and the process set up by the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, Rodenticide Act. Um, and while, you know, glyphosate seems to have triggered some reactions uh, by the fundamentally opposed it, the reality is, is that our federal regulators and then all 50 individual state regulators have approved this product for use. Um, you hear about stories around the around the globe with with other places banning it, but um, those are actually rather misleading. I believe over in Europe, there's actually some countries that said they were going to ban it in a knee-jerk reaction, and have actually rolled it back. Um, and, and and because they get political pressure immediately, there's a knee-jerk reaction. But sometimes you have to look at what is really the data telling us. What is the product, the process is being conducted by, and that's that's what we have to rely on. Um, so in this whole process, what I thought has been the most important thing for a national association to do has been to first educate our members on proper, safe use of the product, which is why we had a webinar last year. Bray went on to say that it all comes down to properly using glyphosates. It's like anything else, really. Anybody improperly using machinery, for instance, makes it more dangerous. The same is true about glyphosates. Using glyphosates requires reading the instructions and using the right PPE. Here's what the label says. Here's the PPE you need to put on. It's about giving our members, you know, materials to make sure they can educate their consumers, uh, to make sure they understand how they use the product. And then I have uh, spoken with many legislators at both the federal and state level of this process, the FIFRA process. And sometimes they have asked specifically about glyphosate. And I kind of move move the the conversation over to the overall process because I think that's what really needs to be scrutinized here. Do you think that a lot of the perception publicly on this? comes from fear or um, maybe even just f- general concerns um, about the environment or, or well-being? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is going to sound funny. I am not a social media person, um, but I think social media is a very effective tool, almost in a peer pressure vacuum, to move stories very quickly 
and very rapidly, regardless of what information is accurate or not. I think you can also be extremely targeted. Um, so I do think that we're those that fundamentally don't like pesticides, and they took this as an opportunity to move their overall agenda. Um, I think there's also greed involved here. I think there's um, defense attorneys um, that have specifically target our members in, in, in pursuit of their own you know, economic gain and, and trying to add people to class action lawsuits. Um, you know, and that, that's frustrating from, from my end because we're sitting there trying to, to give good information while also pr- protecting our workers, um, and, and that's important to us. Of course, I was compelled to bring up the Monsanto lawsuit. At the time, tens of thousands of lawsuits around the weed killer Roundup had yet to be settled to the tune of $10 billion. Bayer footed the bill for that since they bought Monsanto, the developer of Roundup, in 2018. Those settlements came in June, and my conversation with Andrew Bray was in the spring. So I called him back this month, and we spoke again about glyphosates. Well, yeah, so a lot has happened since February. I think most notably um, an announcement came this summer that uh, Bayer was moving forward with a settlement agreement for all of the outstanding pending litigation, I meaning it had to be current, uh, outside of three initial cases, uh, two in California and one in Missouri. Those were kind of the first three cases, um, namely the Johnson, Hardiman, and I'm going to screw up, I forgot the third one. Um, but, so... We had the settlement in line, and then we are now sitting and waiting because the judge has not accepted the settlement agreement completely yet. Um, so we thought uh, we would get some more news on that towards the end of the summer. As Like I said, this, this announcement came in July, um, but now we seem to be slowing to moving at a snail's pace uh, at this point. So we, we do expect some news here in the near future, but the three initial pending lawsuits that I mentioned, in addition to a lawsuit involving EPA, are still moving forward at this time. Okay, gotcha. And regarding just, I guess, that snail pace that you're referencing, does that have anything to do with the pandemic, or do these things usually take that rate of speed? So, you know, and and I'm not an attorney or privy to this lawsuit. I don't think it has as much to do with COVID. I think it has to do more with the sheer volume of cases that were in the pipeline. And so when the judge is trying to review if this is a fair settlement agreement, I think it's just taking more time um, for all of those multiple interests to properly weigh in and have their say. Um, I believe that is what is happening, but like I said, I'm not a party to the lawsuit. Andrew reminded me that in Bayer's statement about settling the lawsuits, they did not admit guilt. After all, EPA review of glyphosates deemed no apparent human health harm when used correctly. And, And what Bayer is basically doing through that statement is, I think, making a conscience business decision. Um, they're not saying that this product uh, is dangerous. They're going to continue to defend it. It's going to continue to be registered by the Environmental Protection Agency. But this is coming down to a point where I believe bears, in bears' mind, they would like to move on from this and move forward. Because involved with the settlement was going to be a process to litigate any future issues with, with the product um, that would involve a scientific panel. So there were multiple a- like aspects to this settlement that I, I can understand why someone say, well, gee, they're settling. Is that admitting guilt? And, and that's not what they're doing. I think they're making a, a business decision. Is there anything else out there that's, uh, you know, you feel is still pending? You know, where is the conversation around glyphosates going now? Yeah, I mean, 
So obviously EPA has, has made their, their final say. There is the still pending lawsuit against EPA for, for their determination. There does remain to be some issues with Proposition 65 in California, and that's the, the idea of having a uh, carcinogenic you know warning on anything that is probably or likely carcinogenic, which EPA didn't determine, but California um, would like them to require to do that. So that's like kind of another little realm of this litigation that's ongoing. I think for glyphosate, though, in the next six to 12 months, what you're going to continue to see is what we saw last year, but that was slowed down by COVID, was I think there's going to be um, states that have put forward, uh, that put forth legislation that may further restrict the use of glyphosate. Um, and so we're, we're planning for that. And, you know, we want to rely on EPA, the, the, our federal regulator, uh, working in conjunction with state regulators as, as, as the authorizer and decision maker on pesticides, um, not legislatures that we think are acting strictly with, a, with an anti-pesticide agenda. Andrew knows these conversations around glyphosates aren't going anywhere, no matter how many mass settlements are made. And it's getting the truth out there that he says is most frustrating, especially since things can change as soon as tomorrow. To me, it's always disappointing when, you know, these pesticides that have a lot of beneficial uses turn into you know, these sensationalized stories. I think in the end, um, you know, we need to respect the process. But more importantly, I want to make sure landscapers are getting the accurate information. Um, I don't want them being afraid of things. I want them to understand how to use things the right way. Um, and to me, safety comes first. And, and it starts with education, making sure the right information is out there. So I just appreciate the opportunity to be able to get on this podcast and hopefully provide some of that. Of course, of course. And for any landscapers who end up listening to this podcast, maybe thinking, well, I definitely want some of this information to make sure my crews are using this correctly. Um, where could they find that? Where could, I mean, where could they find these resources? My email is Andrew at Landscape Professionals. There's an S, Professionals, plural, dot org. Or you can do Bob Man Bob at landscapeprofessors.org. And we are happy to talk to you. We're happy to give you additional resources. Bray specifically mentioned that NALP updated its best practices for pollinators, which can be viewed on the NALP website. Thank you all for listening to the Lawn and Landscape Radio Network. For more stories like this one, check us out on lawnandlandscape.com or in our monthly print magazine. This is Jimmy Miller. We'll catch you next time.